0: Alright, our second scripture reading today comes to us from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 17. You can find it in your Pew Bibles on page 1864. 1864. Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 17. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. These are the unchanging words of God. May all who hear them find freedom from the fear of death. Well, these next few weeks are going to be slightly different. I will be teaching three topical messages concerning covenants. Because these are topical messages, I won't be sticking closely to one text of scripture. Now normally I, I prefer expository messages, messages that deal directly with a single text from the Bible. For I feel that is the best way to grow in God's Word. But from time to time, it is necessary to take a, a broader, big-picture view on certain topics that need addressing. These messages on covenants are something that we as a church need to hear. Covenants are foundational to our faith. For they establish how God works within his church. For us to move forward, we must have a proper understanding of what it means to be a covenant people of God. My hope is to show you from God's word what church membership is and why it is vital for the health of a church. In this week's sermon, I desire to lay down the the groundwork by giving an overview of the covenants we see throughout scripture. And then next week, we will focus more on how we as a church participate in a covenant with God and with each other. And finally, in week three, I will speak to the importance of understanding God's covenant through the study of God's word. But before we dive in, I want to address quickly that, that sticky little phrase that I know makes some of you cringe, church membership. Part of the issue today is the terminology that we have chosen, membership. When one hears the word membership, what, what typically comes to mind is either a fancy country club or, or a big bulk warehouse. <laughs> now, with, the, with the first, it conveys the message that one needs to be rich to join. Membership is for the wealthy, and for the prestigious people of our world. And with the second, it's all about saving money by buying in bulk. Here, membership seems more like a sales pitch, trying to convince a person to buy into the, the company's product. Neither of these pictures conveys what we, what we mean when we talk about church membership. That is why I think the word covenant is a better word to use. For this is what we are truly talking about. So, what is a covenant? In the Old Testament, they use the word, the Hebrew word, barret. It means a relationship formed through oaths and bonds. And it involves mutual, though not necessarily equal, commitments from both parties involved. Sometimes a covenant can look look, and act like a command. The Mosaic Covenant has this field with its Ten Commandments and the many other laws that God gave to Israel. And usually these types of covenants are conditional in nature. In other words, one party promises to do one thing if the second party will be faithful in doing another thing. For instance, God promised to pour out his blessings upon Israel if they would obey his commands. And he promised to curse them if they did not. It was a conditional covenant. However, some covenants look and act more like Promises. The Abrahamic covenant feels this way. God promised to bless the whole world through Abraham's seed. No strings attached. It was God's oath to Abraham. And Abraham didn't have to do anything to receive it. He only needed to trust that God's word was true. The most common covenant that we see in our world today is a covenant of marriage. And this paints for us a good picture of what we mean when we talk about church membership. For those of you who were in our couples Bible study, uh, if you remember, you you will understand the importance of making a covenant with one another. The husband and wife, they make vows to each other to love and to honor care for, and to protect, to lead, and to submit according to their roles. Marriage, it it foreshadows for us the, the covenant bonds that we see in the church as well. But we'll talk more on that next week. For now, the question that needs to be asked is this. Why does God establish his church through covenants? Well, there are a number of reasons, but first and foremost is that God is a covenant being. God works in covenants because he covenants within himself, in the three persons of the Trinity. His very existence is a covenant between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They live in devotion to each other. And each person of the Trinity takes on different roles. For instance, we, we see these different roles in the Gospels when Jesus becomes a man. The Father took on the position of headship, so he is to lead the other two. Likewise, the, the Son submits to the Father's authority in all that he does. John laid this out plainly in his Gospel. John chapter 5, verse 19 Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself, but he can do only what he sees his father doing. Because what the father does, the son also does. Jesus and his father are in covenant with one another. As created beings in God's image, Humans, by nature, are also covenant beings. It's it's not as if God created man and then decided, hmm, I think it would be a good idea to form a covenant with these people. No. It's more like man was built for covenants. Because as image bearers, humans follow after their creator, who is within himself a covenant being. So all throughout Scripture, we see God interacting with His people by means of covenants. We saw this in our first Scripture reading for today, Genesis 1, verses 27 through 29. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. Here we see God's first covenant with Adam. And then we see both promise promise And command. The promise is that Adam would be given rule over the whole earth, while the command was for him to be fruitful and increase in number. In this covenant, God granted to Adam kingship. And as king, Adam was responsible to expand God's kingdom throughout all the earth. Yet God wasn't finished there. Look at Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Here we see that Adam was to work and to take care of the garden, he was to maintain it, keeping it pure. Eden was God's sanctuary, a holy place that should not be touched with evil. The language that we see in this verse is the same language that God used when describing the work of the Levites in the tabernacle. In Numbers 3, verses 5 through 8, we, we see this language. The Lord said to Moses, Bring the tribe of Levi and present them to Aaron, the priest, to assist him. They are to perform duties for him and for the whole community at the tent of meeting by doing the work of the tabernacle. They are to take care of all the furnishings of the tent of meeting, fulfilling the obligations of the Israelites by doing the work of the tabernacle. This was the duty of the priest's. They were to distinguish between things clean and unclean, holy and unholy. For the tabernacle was a sacred place. The same could be said of the Garden of Eden. This orchard was God's first tabernacle, his first dwelling place. And Adam was to act like a priest, keeping it holy unto God. And finally, we see the last role that God placed upon Adam. Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Here we see God giving his law to Adam. The thing to notice is that God gave this command before Eve was created. Part of Adam's duty was to speak for God to his wife. In essence, he was to be a prophet for her. So we see these three duties that were placed upon Adam, this role of Prophet, priest, king. As king, he rules over the earth on God's behalf. And as priest, he he stands between creator and creation, making sure the people are pure and righteous as they come before a holy God. And as prophet, he communicates for God to God's people. Yet we all know that Adam failed at these roles. He did not communicate God's word accurately to his wife. For when the serpent asked Eve about the fruit, she added in the command to not even touch the fruit, something that God did not say. And Adam did not protect God's sanctuary. He did not keep it holy. For he allowed the serpent to speak freely words against God. And Adam did not rule over his creation. Rather, he obeyed the commands of the devil. And so this first covenant was broken, and sin entered the world. Yet all throughout Scripture, we see God working among his people through this same use of a prophet-priest-king covenant. Take, for instance, Noah, Genesis 9, verse 1. Here we see the kingly covenant restated. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Just like Adam Noah and his sons were to expand the boundaries of God's kingdom. Or how about Abraham? Genesis 17, verses 6 through 8. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Again, we see the same kingly covenant that was given to Adam. And then there was Moses, where God's prophetic covenant was on display. God repeatedly told Moses to speak his words to both the Israelites and to Pharaoh. Yet Moses was afraid to go. So he tried to come up with these excuses as to why he should not go. Then in Exodus 4, verses 10 through 12, we read this. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or make him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Moses was to be a prophet to both Pharaoh and to the nation of Israel speaking to them on God's behalf. And later in the book of Exodus, we see God's priestly covenant being expressed. Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now we actually see all three covenants in this passage here, but I want to point out the priestly covenant. In Israel, we see a nation of priests. God's chosen were to be a holy people, acting as mediators between Yahweh and the rest of sinful humanity. To aid them in these duties, God, he separated out the roles of priest, prophet, and king. As we read previously, the, the Levites were to work and take care of God's sanctuary. There was a covenant between the people and the priests. The other tribes, they would provide sustenance to the tribe of Levi, while Levi would act as intermediaries between God and his people. And through David, God separated out the role of king. He promised to David that his heir would have an everlasting rule over his kingdom. So there was a covenant between the king and the people. The king would provide leadership and protection and hopefully a growing kingdom while the people would pay taxes and give up their male children to fight in the king's wars. And through men like Moses and Nathan and Elijah and those who would follow after them, God separated out the role of prophet. They would speak the words of God to his people and the people were to listen. Of course, just as Adam fell, so too did the nation of Israel. False prophets came along, speaking only things that people wanted to hear. And priests did not keep God's sanctuary holy as Israel drifted off into idolatry. And the kings, they did not expand the kingdom to the ends of the earth. Rather, the nation it split into two. And both kingdoms were eventually overrun by more powerful nations. The old covenant failed. Not because God was unfaithful, but because man was sinful. In many ways, both Adam and Israel as a nation paint a picture for us of man's inability to be the prophet, priest, king. That God desires of his children. A new covenant had to be made. God needed someone who could faithfully execute the role of prophet, priest, king. On behalf of mankind. Enter in Jesus. Jesus is fully God. Yet he is also fully human. Seeing as mankind's first representative, Adam, could not fulfill God's covenant, another human representative would have to take his place. This is why Jesus had to become a man. Even though he is fully God, only a man could rescue humans from their sins. So Jesus humbled himself, taking on this role of prophet-priest, king. Listen to God's words from the book of Hebrews. First, we see Jesus as God's prophet. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Jesus is a prophet that will that will not speak falsely. He conveys God's message with clarity and precision. And in Hebrews, we also see Jesus as God's high priest. Hebrews two verses fourteen through seventeen. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of people. Here we see that Jesus is a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. He can only fulfill this role because he is fully human. Yet he is not just a priest, and he is not just a prophet, but Christ is also a king. Hebrews 1, verses 8 and 9. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set You above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Here we see a description of God sitting high upon his throne, yet the author says that this description of God as king is really describing the Son. Jesus isn't just a prophet, and he isn't just a, a priest. Jesus is King. This is the essence of the new covenant. Christ is the new Adam, our new representative, fulfilling the prophet, priest, king covenant. He conveys God's message clearly, He is the protector of God's sanctuary. And he is the one who expands God's kingdom. Christ is this new covenant man. He steps in where Adam failed. As prophet, he, he represents God perfectly by doing and saying all that the Father asks of him. As a priest, he, he turns unholy men holy through his sacrificial blood that was poured out on the cross. And as a king, he expands God's kingdom throughout the whole earth by gathering in the children of God as his own. Jesus is prophet. Jesus is priest. Jesus is king. So, what does this have to do with the church? In this new covenant, through the working of Jesus, this role of prophet, priest, king, it, it falls back onto every covenant member brought into the kingdom. We will talk more about this next week, but suffice it to say, the role of prophet, priest, king is fulfilled in Jesus, in Christ. He now plays out this role working through his church by working through you. Let us pray. Father, we are in eternal Gratitude for what your Son has done for us. He fulfilled your covenant when we could not. By doing so, he has rescued us from our sins. We ask now that you would form us into a covenant, people. Let your Holy Spirit seal us and guide us as we live out our lives in devotion to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.